No, Superman Forever Radio, the weekly podcast devoted to Superman. And now here's your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder. And welcome to Superman Forever Radio. This is episode 12. Now each week I look into various aspects of the Superman mythology, as well as going issue by issue through the Superman books following Infinite Crisis. And uh, this week is a huge episode. Not only are we going to take a look back at the Ruby Spears Superman cartoon, but came and stole from the Superman video podcast. will be with us a little bit later to talk Smallville and... Uh, more aspects of Superman Plus, two guests to help me review the Superman books from November 2006. And one note on the review segment. It was recorded on my iPhone, 110%, and there are spots where the recording kind of jumps. Plus there were some sound issues. My voice apparently carries really badly on the phone. So bear with me, you know, they're minor. And overall the quality came off pretty well, but I wanted to be upfront and be and let you know I am aware of that. And it uh, kind of worked with what I had. So this is a deluxe-sized episode. Hopefully that will make up for episode 11 being late. And without further ado, let's get started by looking back at the Ruby Spears Superman cartoon. Ruby Spears introduced the new Superman cartoon in 1988, which was Superman's 50th anniversary. And the Superboy TV series would premiere the same year. Now, unlike the new adventures of Superman, this show was set fairly squarely in the John Byrne era Superman. And the series really had a sharp design scheme done by Gil Kane, and Marv Wolfman of the Superman comics served as the head story editor. The animation was smooth, and the format was pretty unique in that the majority of the episode was a standalone or a single Superman adventure, while the last four minutes were a Smallville family album, which chronicled chronicled Clark growing up and becoming Superman. Now, the voice cast on this show had an animation pedigree. Bo Weaver was the voice of Superman, marking the first time on a strictly Superman cartoon that Bud Collier didn't voice the Man of Steel. Ginny McSwain provided the voice of Lois Lane, who was presented as a more straightforward, tough-as-nails reporter. Mark L. Taylor voiced Jimmy Olsen. Stanley Ralph Ross, who was the voice of Brainiac on the last two seasons of Super Friends, and Gorilla Grodd in earlier seasons of Super Friends voiced Perry White. Lex Luthor was voiced by Michael Bell, who also voiced Prowl and Sideswipe on the Transformers, and Duke on G.I. Joe. Now, the show only lasted one season despite this, and it's quite simply because it was scheduled by CBS at the butt crack of dawn. The show started at 6.30 a.m. Central Time, 7.30 Eastern, which for me in Central Time meant setting an alarm on Saturday for 6 a.m., or in uh, at least more than one instance, staying up all night to watch the show. Now, another unique aspect was that Wonder Woman actually made an appearance in her post-crisis version. And Lex Luthor was presented as a as his billionaire industrialist version, with a Miss Tessmacher-like character named Jessica Morganberry, who was actually kind of a live-in girlfriend, or at least that was the implication, which is pretty edgy for Saturday morning cartoons. And that's just ironic since the ACT, the watchdog group that, you know, did in the filmation Superman was still in operation at this time. So the show had to skirt a pretty, you know, thin line in terms of how the action was presented. 
All in all, the show, you know, could have been a legendary show. It was way ahead of its time. Good animation, good story. But, you know, even diehard fans had a hard time with the early mornings. And Warner Brothers licensing fees were exorbitant. So the ratings weren't there to justify a second season and the show died after just one year. So who knows if maybe Batman or any other hero would have shown up in the second season. It is a sad story, but of course the, the entire run of the show is available on DVD. You can uh, It came out in November of 2009. So check it out on Amazon and uh, please take a look at this show. It's an absolutely fabulous show. Now, for those of you who don't know Cayman Stoll, he hosts the Superman Video Podcast, which you can find on YouTube or at the Superman Podcast Network. And I'm extremely excited to have him on the show and talk some Smallville and just about Superman in general. So, please welcome to the show, Cayman Stoll. So, I'm, uh, I'm glad you uh, came on to the show. Glad to have you here, Cayman. No, oh, thank you for having me, David. I've been, I just actually recently caught up on Superman Forever Radio, and it's, it's a great show, man, and I'm very proud and i just think it's an honor to be able to be a part of it oh thank you i've been wanting to have you on for a while so this is exciting well won't you uh tell us a little bit how how your first introduction to superman my first introduction to superman and this kind of makes people turn their heads a little bit when i say this but was actually superman 4 um i was five years old and my dad was like my dad was big on superman growing up and everything and i walked out and he was watching superman 4 and i just kind of sat with him because i thought it looked like a good movie and the part where i was completely sold was when um, Clark and Lois on a balcony, and he steps over the balcony with her, and then she's falling, and he flies up to Superman and catches her, but he still has his Clark Kent glasses on. And from there, I was hooked. I was like, that was awesome. Like, as a five-year-old, seeing that was totally amazing. And then he got me, like, hooked on comics and everything. And ever since I was five years old, I've been obsessed with Superman. I've been collecting, and then got into Smallville, and that just, like, amplified it, and it's just been an ongoing obsession, I guess you could say, ever since then. Well, uh, you mentioned on Facebook that you're going to be featured in a newspaper. I am, actually. The um, St. Cloud Times, which is the big newspaper where I'm from in Minnesota, will be doing an article on me as having one of the biggest collections in the state of Minnesota, a Superman collection. And see, I'm, I'm so, number, number two in Missouri, so... <laughs> are you very... Wow, I have family that lives in Missouri, so I'm down there quite often. Yeah, uh, we're actually not too far from there. We talked about that on Facebook. I, I kind of told you some places to check for Superman stuff. That Right, that is right, and I actually did find some stuff at that location, so I want to thank you yep, well, publicly for that. I, I, I found some great stuff years ago, and it's spotty. It goes through, but it's a nice little hidden gem. <laughs> there's not, it is, it is. There's not a lot of places. Some that, of the coolest stuff I found is, like, some of the coolest Superman collectibles I found have not been at comic book stores, but at, like, antique stores and flea markets and stuff like that. Well, that's where you find the vintage stuff, and a lot of times, mm-hmm. hopefully you find it in good shape. That's well, it, It's always been in good shape. I'm very vintage. I love... Any old Superman stuff, that's what most of my collection is anyway. So that stuff just like, oh, I just, I love it. Well, do you have one specific item that, you know, if the house is burning, you can save one thing that you would grab? I do. Um, there's a big comic book store in Minneapolis, which is a huge, it's the metropolis of Minnesota, basically. Okay. And um, they, my dad bought me this glass Superman statue that is made of 12 karat gold. Oh, wow. And everything, and it's just. It's amazing to look at. It looks absolutely beautiful, and it has a lot of sentimental value to me because my dad bought it, and he's the one who got me hooked on Superman and everything, so that's probably the thing I would grab. So. Yeah, see, I have, uh, it was a Superman of Metropolis form, or certificate that I got in Metropolis, Illinois, signed by Siegel and oh, Schuster wow. and Kirk Allen, 
And it's kind of the same thing. It was uh, the last thing my dad got me for my birthday. So that'd be the one thing I would grab. That would be really, really cool. Yeah. Well, they they have them there. And I, I understand you're going this year. I will be going to the celebration this year. I'm very excited. Is this first, first time going to Metropolis. First time? Yeah. Last year was my first mm-hmm. celebration. I'd been to Metropolis once before and on the off-season, which is usually how I recommend people introduce because then you get your you learn your way around and you get to take your time through the museum. Plus, yeah, exactly. Take your time. But. but the celebration is unparalleled. I'm highly excited. I get to go for all four days this year, so I am psyched. I will be there for all four days, too. That'll be, that'll be fun. We're... I want to do something where all of us, like, is there something planned for the podcasting people? Do you know? I, I, I'm, I'm working on that. I, I don't know who okay. I'm going. I know you and I so far, but we will figure something out. That's for sure. I know I'm, my whole episode okay. is going to revolve around that. So. Yep, and I will also be doing, I'll be able to stream it. So I'm going to be doing live shows from the celebration that I will be streaming online. Oh, excellent. Well, we'll have so to, that'll we'll, be cool. We'll have to hook up after afterwards and talk about that. That will be awesome, definitely. But, uh, well, you know, speaking of your show, uh, how did you get into, you know, doing the Superman video podcast? That was something that was completely random. Um, I was bored one day, and I just picked up the Kingdom Come graphic novel by Mark Wade and Alex Ross. And I was like, wow, this is a really good book. So I turned on the video camera, and I was not planning on posting it online or anything. I was like, I'm just going to sit and talk about Kingdom Come. So I did that, and then I just talked about some more Superman stuff, and then talked about Smallville and everything. And I was editing on the computer, and I was like, I could upload it on YouTube. And I was like, maybe I'll do that. I didn't think anybody would watch it. I, I go back and watch the first episode, and I'm like, how did people like that? You know, because the first episode is just, it's it's the first one. You know, it was a trial thing. But I ended up uploading that, and I ended up getting tons of great feedback from people. Like, people, they're like, when's the next episode coming out? We love what you're doing. You should do this and that. And I was like, wow. I was not expecting that whatsoever. And it's been going ever since then. And I have the greatest fans out there. I have the best support system out there. And it's something I'm going to keep doing until people don't watch it anymore. See, that's kind of, it was, it, it was surprising that I found an audience with Superman Forever Radio. And then the Superman Podcast Network came up. And that is probably, you mentioned the support system. That's probably the number one. Cause I, Superman Podcast Network is an amazing thing. I want to. Go ahead and kiss Michael Bailey's butt for a second. That he has done an amazing job on that. And that guy's on a ton of podcasts. I don't know where he finds the time. I don't know how he, that guy has time for anything. He is so, he's one of the busiest guys that I know. But uh, yeah, I want to thank Michael Bailey as well. I mean that uh, there's no. I don't feel that there's any competition between us because we're all doing our own thing and we're all centered around the same the same uh, universe. I I was just talking to somebody about that. How it's not. I love that it's not a competition between us guys. We are all like join together and we help each other out and we give each other plugs and everything. And yeah, and I'm, I'm, that's one of the best surprises of the year. Just mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, that, you know, there a, there are listeners to my show and B that, you know, there's a whole network of us doing, you know, different things and we're covering different aspects. Exactly. But, exactly. Uh, well, okay. Let's talk a little bit about Smallville because I don't get to touch on that very much on the show just because of the timing of my recording. And ironically yeah. this week, you know, with the, with the bump, we we're in a good position to kind of talk about yeah, where we're at yeah. with the show and uh, <laughs> kind of talk about that bump, which did not make me happy at all. No, it it was a total surprise to me too. I was and Thursday night was it Thursday night that it was announced? It was Thursday night because I got home around five uh, Central Time, and that's when I found out. So it was last yeah, minute. And I was just like, really? Well, my uh, my scheduling on my DVR still showed Smallville, so it was literally just that abrupt and. That's what people were saying. People were saying that the TV guides and everything said that Smallville was still set to be on Friday night. 
It was just, it's total disrespect that they did that because I know they're wanting to plug their, their shows for next year. Uh, what was it? Vampire Diaries and Nikita. And, mm-hmm. But Smallville has made that network. And it I, has. I and mean, it's their highest rated show. 10 years is nothing to scoff at at all. No, 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 no. But, uh, well, and I'm pretty sure that Kelly and Brian were not happy about that either. Cause I don't think that, I don't think it was their decision. Well, then they got bumped to Super Bowl weekend, which isn't going to help the show at all. I know oh, it's the last year and all, but <laughs> I didn't even realize that. Yeah, it's it was just a it was to call it what it is. It was a middle finger to the fans that have supported that show, supported it that really network, was. and it really was. And the crappy thing is, in order to keep watching that show, I still have to go back to that network. Yep, exactly. So it's a exactly. no no win scenario. And anyway, I guess it is what it is. And I'm sure that Supernatural fans, because I know that Supernatural was also postponed. I'm sure they're just as upset and angry as Smallville fans, but it, it was very disrespectful, and I felt it was, like, for Vampire Diaries, I was like, really? They couldn't have pushed that to Saturday? Yeah, really. But Well, was, you know, Vampire Diaries airs on Thursday, so literally you got two episodes, well, I guess it's the same episode, but you got it aired twice that week. <laughs> I don't think those demographics are the same thing, so <laughs> it was just probably not absolute disrespect, but Smallville... It would have been hilarious if Vampire Diaries last night just totally bombed it may have that. That oh, I have. I I kind of want to look at the numbers later and see how it did because that would just make my day. Well, we're luckily we're in an age where fans could communicate to each other and let each other know, hey, this isn't going to be here, so people can bail at the. It's not like back in the day when there was no internet, and uh-huh. you turned tuned in. And it's like, where's my show? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I remember, remember that with the X Men cartoon in the nineties, nobody knew that they did two episodes and then they didn't come back till after the the middle of the season. Oh wow! And we didn't know we hadn't. I mean, we, we had Wizard at that point, which of course is now defunct. But that that came out monthly, and that's the only way we knew anything at that point. The internet was not what it is now. So luckily, mm-hmm. you know, people were at least had the heads up, as well, as close to a heads up as you can get twenty four hours in advance. Exactly. But uh, well, going back to the beginning of Smallville, how old were you when Smallville debuted? Oh my goodness! Oh, I was probably about seven years old. When Smallville first debuted, and I remember seeing the the posters with Tom Welling Clark on the on the posters of the Scarecrow with the S painted on his chest, and I was like, "Ah, Superman show!" Like I wanted to watch it because it was Superman show, but I saw that and I was like, "Oh, that doesn't look very Superman." And I've watched since the pilot. I was seven years old, and I've been watching for the last ten years, and it's it's been quite a run. Let See, me tell you. Yeah, I was in my twenties. I won't say how old, but mid mid twenties, <laughs> and. uh I remember reading about it way ahead of time and just saying the concept Superman or Clark Kent before he became Superman. Like, who would really want to watch that? And then yeah, as, exactly. the, as the promo started coming out, I'm like, no, that looks pretty good. And it I, it actually debuted a few days before my birthday on October 16th, 2001. And I was oh, hooked. Wow. Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock became my time. Because my friend, for season one, I didn't miss an episode. My friend Sean would come down and we would just make a mini party out of it. Oh, that's really cool. And kind of the same thing with season two, except I'd moved uh, at that point, so my friend Sean wasn't available, but didn't miss an episode. Season three got a little flaky, and season four is where I started declining a little bit. In season four, most people that I talked to, they asked what my least favorite season is, and I usually say season four. And see, the second half of season five, after the 100th episode, is kind of where I started just saying, okay, the show's on its way out. That's what I thought, too, because you had the one after Reckoning, which was Vengeance, and I didn't... The one after Jonathan's death, and after that, you got some really weird, bizarre episodes. And then, 
came back, season six, I, I still think that season six is one of the strongest seasons. Not the best seasons, but I think it is one of the strongest. Well, see, I'd already, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm a fair weather fan, but season six, I'd kind of missed most of it. And then season seven, I was pretty much out altogether. And I didn't come back until oh, yeah? season eight when they brought in Doomsday because the concept sounded, it was just far off the mark where I'm like, uh, if it's bad, I want to be able to complain about it with some, you know, some education behind it. And it turned out to be yeah. a, a rocking season. And I found out I did I, I did not miss Lana at all. Because by that point... Have you gone back and watched season seven yet? Or is that still one? Not that yet. I, 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 I plan on going through them sequentially once the show ends. Once the show ends? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, season seven's good. I like season seven. It's just, it's hard because towards the end of the season, that's when the writer's strike was going on. Yeah. If you remember the writer's strike a few years ago. So oh. a lot of the episodes, like... They're kind of choppy, but it's, they're still good. Well, the writer's strike pretty much killed one of my killed heroes, so I, yeah, it stands out. Oh, we could talk heroes for another two hours. I I caught up on four seasons of Heroes in three months over the summer. And see, I about midway through season three, I'm like, this show's not what it was. That first season no, was no, 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 so no. good. The first season is amazing. Second season was kind of choppy, and then once Peter and Nathan's dad came on, I was like, oh boy. This is getting... Once I found out that Siler was a... Spoiler alert for those people that haven't watched Heroes. Once I found out that Siler was Peter's brother, I was like, this isn't... I don't like this anymore. Yeah, <laughs> this is too over the top. Exactly, exactly. But uh, so. But it is a very well-written show. Well, I thought season eight really picked up a notch, and I know we were missing Lex, which was, I did kind of miss him, but the whole... Clip... But we gained Tess Mercer. Who, Freeman. It took me a long time for her to grow on me. I'll be honest with you. Really? Well, honestly, it, as dumb as it sounds, I didn't realize her name was a play on Miss Tessmacher or in Mercy oh, at the same time. Mercy. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, once I knew that, I'm like, okay, she's in my book. She's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, well, we'll get to the a little bit about her in a minute. But season eight's when I came back, and I just thought, without that Lana dragging it down, because in the first three seasons, Lana and Clark, that was interesting. Around season four, it started getting really annoying. Yeah, it really did. I agree with that. Especially if you know the character and you know, look, they're not going to end up together. Exactly, exactly. There's a lot of people, though, that, like, from seasons one through five, actually thought that Clark and Lana were going to end up together. Yeah, I, yeah. (laughs) They don't know their their (laughs) Superman history. No, they don't. No, they do not. 75 years of history is not going to change on a TV show. Yeah, we know who Superman loves, who he's meant to be with, and that's Lois. And she, exactly. She came in, and was it season three that she came in, or season four? Season four. Okay. Season four. Which I was against at the time, but after years, I've grown to just absolutely adore Erica Durance. Erica Durance is an amazing actress, an amazing Lois Lane. One of the best, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Lois and Clark, but I like Terry Hatcher. Terry Hatcher was good. I'm not a huge fan of Lois and Clark either, but it she just, was a very good Lois Lane. Yeah. But uh, anyway, let's talk about season ten, where we're at now. We're halfway through, and what have we? Season ten. What have we, you know, really accomplished with this year? Because it seems kind of scattered to me. First thing I want to ask you about season ten is how do you feel about the Vigilante Registration Act, the whole government storyline? Um, it's distracting, to be honest, and it's kind of taken I, the show into a weird place where apparently the government knows Clark's secret. No explanation for that. There's been no explanation for that, and that kind of bothers me. What I think with season 10, I understand that they have a bucket list and they have a lot that they want to do, but I feel like if this government storyline was not taking place, 
that it would be a lot easier. Because we, the last time we saw Dark Side, the whole Dark Side storyline is just kind of taking a back burner to this. And it's like, well, that's, I was hoping that would be like the main focus, you know? Yeah, and it, it's been, well, there have been, how many different storylines are going on right now? Because you have the Lex clone saga going on. You have, uh, Tess is a Luther yeah. storyline going on. And then there's, of course, Clark's progress, and then the Dark Side story, and then the Vigilante Ridges. There's five different storylines going on. Exactly. There's Lois and Clark getting married. There's the Chloe storyline. Yeah. And it's just, it's so confusing where I'm forgetting pieces at this point, because it's not tracking exactly. all the way through. Me too. And a lot of the stuff is good. I think the Vigilante Re- Registration Act is probably the weakest of them. But I want to see I more so Dark Side. I, I, I really think that in the second half of the season that the Dark Side thing is really going to start amping up. Well, that's what I was trying to explain to my wife is you'll have a few strong episodes leading in and then a couple at the end of the mid-season. And then in the middle, there's sort of filler. Yep, the middle is always kind of like Icarus, the one we got before. The last one we had in 2010 I thought was filler. Yeah, it wasn't as good as it could be, and, and the cliffhanger was iffy. It definitely. If, I mean, if you watched my, oh, go ahead. If you watched the video I did with my review of that. I I didn't like the cliffhanger at all. No, it was it was just ill timed for one thing because you're having this solemn moment with you know Hawkman's death, and he his death mm-hmm. was good. I'll give him that, and Hawkman amped it up in that episode. He did. Hawkman was amazing in that episode, but it's like it's the last season. And they really, really, really need to start focusing on Clark and yeah. Clark's progression to becoming the greatest hero that the world will ever know. And we don't see much of Clark, ironically. Usually it'll no, be another character going into a whole other storyline and Clark will show up at the end to kind of tie it together. But, yeah, we need to kick that up a notch. We really do. And the whole... I, I need res, resolution with um, Clark and Jarrell. Yeah. Because that just has not been explained. If you don't mind, I want to like go on a little mini tangent here. Oh, go for it. Um, do you remember in the season premiere of season 10, Clark and Jarrell had that huge dispute? Yeah. Jarrell was basically saying, you're not going to be Earth's savior. You can't do this because Clark's like proud of himself and everything. They picked up something in there that was amazing and they haven't gone with it yet is that the last trial that Clark has to overcome before becoming Superman is pride. Yeah. And because... Basically, in the season premiere, he saved Lois. He stopped the Daily Planet girl from falling. Then he walks up into the into the barn, and he's ready to put the suit on. He opens the box, and he's like, all right, let's do this. And he gets ready to put the suit on, but then Jarrell takes it away. The suit is left in the fortress, and that suit is something for Clark to earn. Yeah. And I, I really thought that was what season 10 was going to be going for, so I got really excited. But then we got to the second episode of season 10, which I think is one of the weakest episodes of the series. Honestly. Which one was that? Just to make sure I have my chronology. That was the one. Oh, God. It was S.H.I.E.L.D. I've only seen it once. It's the introduction to Cat Grant. Oh, yeah. Who is? And it was the one with the the guy, the old cowboy guy, uh, Deathstroke or Deadshot? Deadshot, yeah. There's two characters right there that you pointed out were just completely misrepresented on the show. I can't stand Cat Grant on the show. I I like her in the comics. Because yep, it's somebody, it's somebody you you love to hate, and on the show, it's just you're just annoying. I, I think she's an annoying actress, honestly. Yeah. And then the Icarus finale, where they're in the, she had that sudden change of heart that made no sense. So that's just a no. It really didn't. I was like, what? What? What is this? But another thing is that at the end of that episode, they gave us this awesome jacket. They gave us the awesome jacket. That Clark is now wearing is his costume. 
We've seen that maybe four times this season. If that, time it's yeah. For, it's for like 10 seconds. And see, I like the. Like, ja- I don't like it as a costume, but I love the jacket in general. I love the jacket. I absolutely love it. That would but be something I would wear in real life. It, exactly. And I actually have someone who's making that for me, and they're going to send it to me in a few months. So I'll be doing a video when I get that jacket and everything. Awesome. But um, when we see it, it's either not zipped up, which bothers me because he doesn't take the time to zip it up so you can see the S, or the other words are for like five seconds and then he's done. Yeah. I it well I I think I like the jacket more than the trench coat look, but the trench coat look kind of fit for so that too. season. It was very fit for the season, but we did see the trench coat more than we saw than we're seeing the jacket. Yeah, but uh, we're supposed to be seeing more of a separation between Clark and the Blur, and we're just not getting that. No, we're not. And of course, the whole second half could be just one amazing episode after another. Because I know, you know, you mentioned the bucket list. We've got to do this, this, and this. So let's mm-hmm. let's kind of get to the big question. Do you think we're going to see Tom Welling in the costume? Um, you know, I get asked this a lot. And my problem is, is that if they do put him in some kind of suit, it either has to be A, a digital suit, or one that they've made. Because they've kind of got themselves into a hole. Because right now they're using the um, Brandon Ralph suit. Yeah. From Superman Returns. And Tom Welling is not going to fit in that thing. No. And plus that thing, Tom, I saw how they fit it together. You can't, <laughs> unless it's specifically suited to that person, you can't put it on, period. No, you can't. And that, that suit is specifically fitted for Brandon Ralph. Yeah, and I believe they actually had to so, sew him into it when he put it on. So They did, they did. So, yes, I do think we will see Tom Welling in the suit, but I don't know if it'll be an actual suit. I'm worried it might be digital. Eh, it could work. See, my dream is... I don't have to see him in action in the suit. I would just love them to do the homage to Superman, the movie where he's standing on a ridge in the fortress and then flies towards the camera and then fade to black. I'd be okay with that. I that would, would totally be, be okay. With yeah, that. that would be, that's all I really want, but just give me some sort of closure. I've been in this for 10 years. I need something. Exactly. I don't, I don't even necessarily need to see Tom in the suit. I need to know that super, like when the final episode comes and it's eight Oh five, and Smallville's over forever. I need to know that Superman is there. Yeah, exactly. To, another big question. Another big question for you. Do you think Rosenbaum's coming back? I think he is. Uh, if he does, I mean, what, what's Rosenbaum really doing? I, he's I, not really doing anything. None of the pilots that he's done have picked up, unfortunately. So I, I know he may not want to shave his head. They, they're doing wonderful things with bald caps, but I honestly, I think he will come back if it's only for a cameo and. If nothing else, I think the producers just need to use some stock footage and make it look like he's there. I See, my thing is, is I don't think that they would be giving us this Lex clone storyline if they didn't think that there was some chance they could get Rosenbaum. Yeah. Or, yeah, but, they they have to do something with that. That needs, I need, like you said, I need to know Lex Luthor's there to, to uh, you know, torment Superman. Exactly. That's part but of I do the, think, the equation. My theory is that the Lex Luthor that we knew, wait, this uh, season eight was the one with the truck that blew up mm-hmm. and Lex was in it. I do actually think that that was the real Lex. And yeah. I think that the Lex that we're going to get, the Lex that is going to end up facing off Superman in the future will be a clone of the real Lex. And for some reason, I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's fine. It kind of sort of fits into the comic. Uh, going back over the death, you know, he was playing his own son for a while, so I'm fine with that. He was. I'm, I'm okay with that. If it ends up being... That the clone he faces, or the Lexi faces off as a clone, that's fine with me. Yeah. 
Um, well, but, uh, one of the big surprises for me this year was the return of Lionel Luthor to the real world. That That is still my favorite episode of the season, was the one where Clark went to the alternate universe and met Ultraman, and well, now I, Lionel's coming back. And Yeah, I love that they acknowledge that, the Ultraman, because that's always been the tradition, is that the evil Superman is Ultraman in the alternate universe, and they actually had the shirt. I was shirt. not expecting to hear Ultraman in that episode. When I heard Ultraman, I was very surprised. I was not expecting to hear that. No, I was not. And the Lionel coming back, honestly, it was kind of a surprise. I saw, because... When Clark's beginning to transport, I saw something and I didn't catch exactly what it was. And then Lionel walking down the uh, down the street getting a newspaper was just a mind blower. It was, and I I I wish that was the the last episode we saw in 2010. Yeah, that should have been the last that, scene. That was a better cliffhanger than what we got in Icarus. Yeah, I think. Well, it left me hungering more because I I want to know how that's going to play out. It, it's oh, he. He's going to have scenes with, spoiler alert, but coming back, he's going to have scenes with Tess. He's going to have scenes with Clark. So it's going to be a big thing with this Lionel coming back. And I I think it would be awesome if Rosenbaum came back and ended up killing that Lionel Luther. That would be perfect. I would love that. that would, just one scene, Michael. Just show up for one scene. Just show up for five. He would get it's, money talks. Yeah. Money and, talks. And I think... I mean, I, I would assume that Smallville fans, you know, were loyal. So if he came back and did us that solid, we'd probably follow him, you know, to whatever he did next. Exactly. And I'm worried if he doesn't come back, people are not going to like him. Yeah. I understand why he left because, I mean, the way they were playing Lex was getting stale. I'm fine with it that. Was, it was. It was getting stale. And But he, when he left, he came back and said, he said, I will come back for, like, the final handful of episodes to wrap everything up. Yeah. And I know Kristen Kruk, you know, she came back in season seven, it was season eight. It was season eight, yep. Yep, and kind of wrapped that up. I don't need to see her again. No, that goodbye, the goodbye she had with Clark was perfect. Yeah. And I was like, all right, we can be done with this character now. Her story is wrapped up. We know what's going to happen to her in the future. We don't need to see Lana again. Yeah. And then the one thing that's always annoyed me about the show all the way through is Pete Ross. Uh, yeah. He really just got the short end of the stick because they didn't. They brought in Chloe, which was a new character who became insanely popular. Mm-hmm. And then Pete Ross, who was a huge part of the Superman mythology, just got. They, they couldn't do anything with him, and then they wrote him out. And they literally. They, did. they and never acknowledge him. No, they, well, he came back. You never saw season seven. He did come back in one episode for season seven, which was a very weak episode. Um, he chewed some gum. And he got like a stretching power, and people just hate that episode. And no, I remember that, that episode. That's the last. <laughs> that's the last we're going to see of him because we're not going to see Sam Jones again. Well, no, not not until he gets out of prison, which will be way down. Not the, like, no. Yeah, that's going to be a while. He, he was selling the hillbilly heroin. He I, was. I never heard it called that, and I'm like, I'm never going to be able to use this in a Superman podcast again. So I'm going to milk it until it's gone. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. So what are your hopes? But another question for you mm-hmm. is, do you think that we will see flight, actual flight, before the end of the season? I think if if the producers are listening to the fans, we will see it. And I they've been mm-hmm. hinting that maybe he flies in collateral. But they've hinted before. I saw that. I saw that. But my problem is, I have a problem with Brian Peterson, one of the producers. And that's, when you ask him a question, he does not give you a straight answer. No. And I know you go you're... back and look at any 
No, go ahead. I know you want to tease the show a little bit and bring people in to watch it, but yeah, he's very evasive. He is, and if you read his interviews from Comic Con, you ask him a question, he works around your question, and he like, I just don't like. He's a great guy and a great producer and a great writer. I just don't like that if you ask him a question, he doesn't give you a straight answer. Yeah, it's annoying. Well, but, plus there's a, so many rumors right now that I don't know what's what because there was a uh, about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, the rumor was that Doomsday was coming back and it was coming from Doomsday solid, was coming back. Yeah, solid sources. Exactly, and then I went to uh, Craig Byrne, who runs Krypton Site, who's want to give Krypton Site a plug. Great website, love Krypton Site. I've been with it since Craig. the show began, so I'm I love uh, Krypton me Site. Me too. And Craig is one of the nicest guys I know. But I contacted him once that Doomsday rumor coming up, and I was like, hey, Craig, what's going on with this? He's like, all right, I'll do some investigating. He contacted me back like 10 minutes later. He's like, yeah, that's a bunch of bull. Okay. Do we know, but like, now the new rumor is that Callum Blue is coming back as Zod, which is a little bit more likely. That That is actually true. I okay. Have contact, I have some contacts at TV Guide who have come out and said that, yes, that is true. Callum Blue is coming back. Okay. I'm, but at this point, I mean, especially with the show and the movie, the rumor rumors are just all over the place, so it's scary doing a, you know doing the show and trying to put yourself behind a news story and then have it pulled out from under you again. Exactly. And that's my biggest thing is that I don't say anything on my show until it's confirmed by Warner Brothers or the CW. Yeah. I've done one with the Hans Zimmer thing because it, the the sources were good and it supposedly yep. came from his mouth, but it was just a misunderstanding. I don't have a problem with Hans Zimmer doing the score though. No, neither do I. And I I did I also did that with um John Hamm. Mm-hmm. When all the rumors are going around about John Hamm, I came out and said like, oh, he was going to do it, and then you know, right from his mouth, he said, I'm, I have nothing to do with the movie. Yeah. Well, were you online when the well during the development for Superman Returns, and then the the between the Tim Burton movie and. All of that. I was not. I was. I was too young at that point. Okay, good. It was. It was terrible because every day would be a new rumor. Josh Hartnett, uh, Brendan Fraser. I mean, it was Nicholas just Cage. every day. Nicholas. Oh, <laughs> that's. You've seen that picture, right? Yeah. If you don't believe in miracles, there's your proof. Exactly that. After I saw that picture, I was like, I need to watch Superman Returns right now. Yeah, I need to. I need to wash this off of me. <laughs> I, I need to get this out of my head. It looks like a bad action figure. Yeah, and th- I look are, at it. I'm like. It's a if you look, you can actually anyway. find uh, versions of the action figure, that the prototype. Seriously? Yeah, I read the Kevin Smith script. Oh it wasn't bad. He Is that the... Superman Lives, or which one was? Superman Lives, yeah. And it, it wasn't bad given what, you know, I don't know if you've heard his whole story about meeting John Peters. Yep. Tell him, yep. I don't want him in the suit, I don't want him flying around. What? what? <laughs> Lex Luthor, is that where Lex Luthor was a, a Kryptonian? And at the very end of the movie, Lex Luthor ended up like flying away or something? That was J.J. Abrams' script, and that was kind of a hot mess, too. And Although with mm-hmm. his Star Trek reboot, I'm like, I don't know what the, could have become of that. I would love to have that guy try to reinvent it. But, I think so, too. But I think, I think Zack Snyder... I just recently watched um, Legend of the Guardians, which is like an owl movie, and the only reason I watched it is because he directed it. Mm-hmm. And I am... Very, very excited for him. I think he's going to do an amazing job. I was mixed at first, but then I kind of thought about the movie, the comic book movies he's made. You take 300, you take Watchmen. Those were faithful yep. to their source material. Exactly. So he's he's going to do an amazing job. Yeah, he at I least think. respects it. So I'm just... He does. Some of the rumors scare me. I'm trying to keep them with a grain of salt, but the idea that mm-hmm. it's going to be Smallville on the big screen, I don't need that. I want Superman in the suit no. at least 40 minutes no. in. 
No, 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 no. And I can I can guarantee you that you will never see Tom Welling on screen playing Superman. No, and I've, I've, I've said that all along, much to the chagrin of people. I love Tom Welling. He would be a fine mm-hmm. Superman, but they don't, would. they don't want to repeat that, and I'm fine with that. No, because if you get Tom Welling, then you have to get Erica Durant. And if you get Erica Durant, you have to get the same Martha Kent, the same Jonathan. And then it's not a Superman movie. It's a Smallville movie. Yeah, and I, I just don't need that. I'm, I'm good. I'm, no, once this wraps up, I'm ready to do something bigger and better. Exactly. So, And, of course, everybody has their version of the Superman movie in their head. My whole philosophy is don't keep him, keep Superman in it as much as you can. Exactly. I mean, actually exactly. have him Super- in, in the costume doing Superman things. Yeah, which is what we really didn't get in Superman Returns. Yeah, and, and a lot of people are harder on Superman Returns than they need to be because I saw it in the theater, midnight showing. It turned me into an eight-year-old. I was just having a blast with it. I saw the first weekend it came out. I think I saw it five times because I went to the midnight showing, and then the next, the next day we drove up to Duluth and I saw it in IMAX, and then I saw it in theaters two more times that weekend. Yeah, I saw it in, on the IMAX. Man, did that play well on the IMAX? Oh my gosh! Yes, <laughs> the new, the whole airplane oh, sequence was phenomenal. That was amazing. And now the, the rumors that the next one's going to be in 3D. I'm just like, yes. As long as they bring it on, film it as a 3D movie. Uh, 3D after the fact just looks horrid. It does. It does. But uh, small, so, and so, even if like a, a few select scenes were filmed in 3D, I'm totally okay with that. Well, the, yeah, they did that with Superman Returns, and that's why I went to the IMAX. And they, my IMAX in Branson didn't have it didn't have 3D built in. So, but I got it on the yeah. bigger big screen, and I was fine with that. Mm-hmm. But I agree with some of the the criticisms that you know he didn't have a villain. We're in an age of digital technology where we can do special effects above and beyond and we didn't see see the we didn't see the movie step up to the game. No, you didn't. And some a lot of people complain about Brandon Routh, but I think Brandon Routh was an amazing Superman. The script just wasn't there. Yeah. And but Brandon Routh did an amazing job. A lot of people are calling for him to come back. I was fine with him, but if they're going to do something different, don't bring we him back cuz he was he was basically just a clone of of uh Christopher Reeve. Christopher Reeve. And, and I love Christopher Reeve and what he did, but people need to just let that be its own thing. Well, yeah. I mean, you take the first two Superman movies and just leave them. And the fourth one, I mean, I, yep. I, I, I won't lie. I don't like the fourth one. I saw it in the theater as a kid and kind of yelled at the screen when he used his vision powers to repair the Great Wall. <laughs> yeah, yep. And see, I was actually frustrated this week because I'm like, I don't know where my first interaction with Superman came from. Because I remember really? watching the Filmation cartoons and Superpowers or Super Friends. But I'd had some sort of knowledge of him since I was, I mean, I don't remember a time I didn't know who Superman was. I remember the moment where I'm like, I want to be a part of this. Was in, yeah. in preschool. Um, oh, wow. This would have been early 80s. But uh, there were, the older kids would wait to go to elementary school. Because that was sort of like a daycare at the same time. And some of the older kids were playing Superman. And I'm like, oh, I want to play. So they let me be Jimmy Olsen, and I had a block that acted as my camera. Well, one day, the guy that was Superman, I mean, he was—he actually had the characteristics. He was a natural leader. People followed him, and he had a friend named Wendy who was, I remember her name for some reason. She was his lowest lame. He just walks into the playroom and goes, I wore this just for you, and popped open his shirt to reveal the S. I'm like, I'm in. I want to be a part of this universe. <laughs> I'm sold. Yeah, I'm, and it's been part of it ever since. Um, that's awesome. Like my aunt, uh, when I was in first grade made me a Superman cape. I mean, it was phenomenal. And I would ride around the apartment complex on my bike, which there's a learning curve on that. 
if you've ever rode a bike with a cape, uh, you're going to get yanked off once, at least. Yeah, yeah, I've done that before. <laughs> but I had the moment where uh, some girl, uh, there was a field nearby, and she had dropped her ball on the other side of the fence and went over and brought her ball back to her and heard her, as I'm walking away, I hear her go, that's Superboy's bike. And I'm like, I, I could be, I could get used to this. But anyway, that's, awesome. that's a complete tangent. But I was trying to figure out no, where, where it began. But, it's just, like, people always ask me, why Superman? Like, why why is it Superman? Why are you not obsessed with Green Lantern? And I always say, it's not because of his powers, or because he can fly, or because he has great stories. It's because of who he is and what he stands for. Yeah, you're never going to have, you don't have moral ambiguity with him. You know he's going to do the right thing. Exactly, and that helps that helps me become a better person, as cheesy as it sounds. No, I agree with you 110%. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I, it's not that I've, I've taken my load of, you know, crap along the years. Um, third grade, I gave a class on kryptonite and, and the teacher, oh, wow. the teacher stopped it and they tried to explain to me that the kids weren't really interested. They were just being condescending to me. And that's, you know, kind of, kind of a, a sad story, but at the same time, it's sort of like, okay, I know if I'm going to be behind this, if I'm going to love this, you know, this story or this character so much, I'm going to have to take that crap. You gotta take the good with the bad. Yeah, because uh, and, and you know what? It's been worth it. I'm 33 years old. I've been in it since I was maybe four. I'm fine with it. Exactly. Br- bring it Me on. Me too. Yeah, I'm 18 and I collect Superman action figures. I get crap too. It's it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's gonna happen because, but, I mean, I agree with you. It's the moral code. It is the moral code. It's what he stands for and the inspiration that he gives people. Because when you see that shield, you know that, like, everything's going to be okay. Yeah, even Batman knows that. And Batman, even Batman knows Batman's that. cold heart's like, okay, Clark's got this. Yeah, he can, he can handle this. Like, if you've ever read the Superman Batman comic, that's, that's pretty much what it is most of the time. Is Batman is just like, yeah, well, he's a good guy, and I just won't ever be like that. Yeah, <laughs> he just accepts it. Just yeah. accepts it. But I, I think I agree with you. I think it makes me a better person. At, you know, it's separate from religion. So it's not like, mm-hmm. it's not a, it's a, not a standpoint that, you know, is controversial. It's just, I want to do the right thing because this is the, the, I, for lack of a better term, father figure or big brother figure that influenced me. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, any final thoughts before, before we move on? The, um, do you... Avid, this is completely random. Are you reading the comics right now? Yeah. How do you feel about the grounded storyline? Uh, okay. <laughs> when the first, when I first heard of him, like it could work. Straczynski's a good writer. I loved Rising Stars. I loved his Spider-Man work. So I'm like, it could work, and it hasn't. Everything has been no, built on convenience. Um, yep. You happen to Batman happens to mention, oh, you could be a bad influence on this area. Oh, and then suddenly Superman's a bad influence on the area. I'm like, no. And then the fact yep. that Straczynski bailed just irked me. So now I'm I'm buying the books just for completionism because I want to keep that run because I'm sure it'll yeah. it goes through good times and bad times. But I, I'm really just skimming it and be like, okay. I mean, the 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 Superman books I'm reading don't have Superman in them. The ones that I like, sadly, which is bad because I'm loving I'm loving action comics. Uh, mm-hmm. the whole Lex Luthor thing has been a blast. And that has been amazing. Supergirl has been above and beyond, and Superboy is really starting to heat up to be a really good book. So, I haven't picked up any issues of Superboy yet, which is surprising, because Connor Kent is my favorite character in the entire, like, next to Superman. Yeah. 
Connor Kent. I love Connor Kent. And it's uh, but, the first issue didn't wow me, but I'm like, I'm going to check it out again. And then it really started picking up steam. So the have best you picked up the new steel number one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm eventually like that. Um, I'm confused. I'm, I don't know how I feel okay. about it yet. I'm going to okay. wait. I'm going to see I, how the storyline plays out before I make a final judgment. Yeah. The only reason I picked it up is because I really want to see what this doomsday thing and where this is going. So I picked it up and I was like, well, that was Superman 75, but with steel in it. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I was actually debating with somebody whether or not, and I guess this would be spoiler uh, since it's still fairly recent. Uh, I, I don't know if he's really dead or just down for the count. He's down for the count because um, I remember back last year with the whole new Krypton thing, mm -hmm. Steel went up against Atlas, and there was a whole issue where just Steel and Atlas just fought, and then at the end you were meant to think that Steel was dead. And then you didn't see him for like three issues, and they're like, oh, he's just in a coma. And I'm pretty sure that's what this is, because if that was a death, then I'm going to be really disappointed. Yeah, that was not a good death. That but, was not a good send-off for Steel. No. Well, the whole new Krypton thing was a mess, so eventually I'm going to hit those books, and I'm kind of dreading it already. I, I bailed out after those. I was like, you know what? I'm, I can't do this. And then I went up and picked up a bunch of, bunch of back issues from the 90s, because I was like, oh, I need something to read. Yeah. New Krypton was just one of the biggest messes I've ever seen, and that includes Last Sun, which I'm hitting up against next week, which could have been a great story, but reading it you know, in floppy, you were getting it here and there. Oh, I didn't mind Last Son. Is that with Jeff Johns and Richard Donner? Yeah, it was a bad. It wasn't a bad story. It was just. No, did you read it in trade or did you follow it in monthly I, form? I read the trade. Okay. I picked up the trade. That's why. Normally, I'm a floppy person, but on this one, I'd recommend trade if you're reading them sequentially because it would skip around. Definitely, definitely, definitely. And that caused a lot of problems with that storyline. Just to go on another quick tangent, uh, Superman Earth One. Uh, as a reader or as a as a really as a critique. Um. Because I the whole second episode, I mean, when I pick up a book, you know, especially a Superman book, there are two ways I go at it. I'm a fan. I'm just reading it. And then there's like, I'm going to bring this on the podcast and talk about this and deconstruct it. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. With Superman Earth 1, uh, as a reader, was, I went through it. I'm like, oh, it wasn't bad. And when I really went back through and deconstructed it, I'm like, there was no need for this book to exist. I, I can agree with that. I, I enjoyed it very much, but I also see where you're coming from, that it was kind of pointless yeah and they took out one of the main factors of superman is that there was no chemistry between him and lois there was no chem no i i completely agree with that and that's part of the, the equation where the chemistry between him and lois and really the animosity between him and lex that's the main crux of any superman yep. story of course this and one didn't they were happen. saying how it was supposed to be modernized for superman today but i don't think the superman today would be as emo or as dark, I guess you could say, as that one was, because, I don't know, I didn't like, the one thing that bothered me with that book was I kept waiting for him to put on the suit, and he doesn't put on the suit until you get, like, to the last ten pages of the book. And then his motivation for that was, well, I guess I better do this. Now, I can understand him, I did like the aspect of him being able to do whatever he wanted, have his choice of yep. careers, or I can sacrifice all that, that and be cool. Superman. That's the aspect that I did like. Yeah. But, but overall, like with, it was just... No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's that was one of my biggest problems with Superman Secret Origin. Was in the I don't know if you've read Superman Secret Origin. Yeah. But in the first issue, he comes down the stairs with the suit on, and he makes some starky comment like, "Do I really have to wear this?" And I was just I didn't like that at all. I was like, I want Superman to be proud 
of that suit and what that suit represents. And that's why I liked Birthright, because it did balance some Clark Kent stuff with him in the suit and kind of give a, a justification for the suit. I have not read Birthright yet. Oh, give that a look. It's like a better version of Earth One. And then, you know, was it? Was, it was, yeah, it was supposed to be an Elseworlds and then be, kind of became canon towards the last part of the Burn era. And yeah. Birthright is a good read. I recommend reading it twice because the first read is going to be a little frustrating. Okay. But the second time around, I really just enjoyed the heck out of that book, and I kind of got it. And it's Mark Wade. I, oh, is it? I love Mark yeah. Wade. Mark Wade is. If I ever had Mark Wade on this podcast, I could just retire. He's my. He's the ultimate because <sighs> he's the only person I believe actually knows everything about Superman. That guy is just. He's has Michael Bailey had him on a show yet? Do you know? I don't know. Wouldn't shock me. <laughs> Wouldn't shock me because that guy gets everybody. Yeah, but Mark Wade. I mean. That would be my, my white whale. That would be, oh, that'd be so cool. Just to get an hour of his time and talk Superman, I mean, I could pretty much die after that. I'm cool. <laughs> Kingdom Come, because Kingdom Come is still to date one of my favorite stories ever. Yeah, and this is, he, Kingdom Come, he did, uh, of course, Birthright. And the thing is, he's, and he's kind of been, uh, well, I don't, I don't know how to say this delicately. He's been screwed over by DC because they've never given him the chance to do his own run on a Superman book. And I think he would do an amazing run on the Superman. I, I believe wholeheartedly he would. I mean, look at where the state of things are now. I think Mark Wade needs to come on the Superman books. Because Mark does, Wade does DC know right now that things are not going well? Or... Um, I I don't know. I don't think Dan Didio knows anything. I just I don't have any respect for him because he's basically just Neither trying to push the product. Push the product. He is. He is. And I've noticed the change since Paul Levitz stepped down. And Paul Levitz seemed like the guy with the common sense who kind of said, we don't need to push the product, let's do what's right for the character. Which is yep, probably exactly. why he stepped down. But I exactly. always have respect for Paul Levitt. So. But Paul I don't, I don't think they're aware. Good. I think they think they're doing a great job. That just... And to be fair, Chris Robertson, he's been doing fine. He, he's been doing the Superman yeah. Batman. And Superman Batman is probably back on my good read list for the first time in I don't know how long. I gave up that book after the uh, Search for Kryptonite storyline. I'm, I'm two, I, two years ago. I'm a completionist, so I, I kept going. In fact, the books I'm talking about this okay. week, which are 28, 29, and 30, those were I bought them just to complete the set. And oh, okay. I, and then, but li literally since the 75th issue, it's been one good issue after another. I'm like, really? For the first time since issue 25, this or 26, this book is back on top. Yeah, because I know for a while they went to the whole like the tots thing. There was one issue where they had like younger little baby versions of themselves. Yeah, that was that was admittedly fun. Yeah, yeah. But the whole thing is, if you yeah. if you're in and out of continuity, I don't necessarily need you, I, or at least in, indicate to me. Isn't, hmm? Is it in continuity now though? Because I know they did a thing with the Imperiax War. Yeah, it skipped it skipped while. around for a long time, where some of it may or may not be, and then yeah, after uh, after the Imperiax War, what they did is they're like, we're just going to go back to different storylines and kind of fill in some gaps. And that's totally okay. Yeah. One book that I missed that I'm finally going to get to review in a couple of weeks is Superman Confidential. Oh, I have the first issue of that, and then I have not been able to find the rest of them. Well, uh, if you look up any of them, look up, there's a trade uh, called Kryptonite that just takes that Darwin Cook and, uh, oh, I can't, Tim Sale story and collects it. But most oh, so the whole thing's in trade. Uh, almost the whole thing, because there were 14 issues, the and the Kryptonite thing is in trade, and then I don't think the rest of it is, because there were some good uh, New God stories in there, and just 
they were stand, somewhat standalone, set ambiguously within the past. I mean, kind of the same okay. concept as Batman Confidential. Just I can I couldn't believe it got canceled that soon because it was Superman a, Confidential. Superman Confidential or, only made it fourteen issues. Yeah, I remember when it was canceled. Well, see, I was subscribing through DC at the time, and suddenly I just realized, man, I haven't seen an issue of this for a while, and had to go look it up. I'm like, oh, really? Thanks. It got canceled. Yeah. And of course, All Star Superman was around that same time, which will oh always be gosh, recommended. That is, I love All Star Superman, and I'm so pumped for the movie. Oh, I'm 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 pre-ordering it. I I, I have already. Oh, that's it's. I actually just went back because I watched the trailer um, when it first came out, and then I went back just last week, and I, I have the first um, volume in trade, and then the next five or six issues I have like individual issues. So I went back and I read the whole thing, and I just it's. Blows me away every single time. Yeah, there are some moments. I, I don't even know how to... T- <laughs> like, uh, the last moment with, with Jonathan Kent was one of the most emotional books of, of all time for me. It, it was. And it was... I didn't like the way they handled Jonathan Kent's death through the Brainiac run. No. Um, I wasn't a big fan of that because, it, he, like, he died, and then New Krypton Special Volume 1, it's the first two pages of his funeral, and then that's it. That's it. And still that's it. But, yeah, and I'm just like, uh, I was expecting a little bit more than that, but because they made it such a big deal, because DC tried to like pump it up and everything, like, oh, Jonathan's going to die, Jonathan's going to die, but we're only going to give you like three pages of it. Yeah, and it's ironic it's like, because I actually have one one of the Alex Ross covers of Superman six eighty one, I believe it is, where he's cradling Jonathan yep. Kent. I have that tattooed on my right shoulder for my dad. Oh. That one that hurt. Is amazing. Oh, and it's just uh, from the upper torso up because the tattoo artist is like, no, we need to get their faces in there. And I got that tattoo yeah. on the anniversary of my dad's death. So I relate oh, to that would be. And well, I relate to that relationship between Jonathan and Clark because I was adopted. I get it. Mm-hmm. And you know, when Jonathan Kent died on Smallville, I'm like, I know why they have to do that. My my dad yeah, was around I, at that I time. Think but, that is the best. That is the best handled version of Jonathan Kent's death was Smallville. Oh, yeah. In Superman the movie, you yeah. had a brief moment. In the comics, it was always... Well, in Silver Age, it was retroactive. You just knew he was gone. Or you might mm-hmm. get a panel here and there. But that was heart-wrenching. And Tom Welling played that to the hilt. He still plays that to the hilt every time they mention his dad or something. Yeah. They mention it quite... And that scene in the first episode of season 10 between him and Jonathan... Man tears, my friend. That, Serious yeah, man tears. Man tears. I agree completely. I was, I was bawling. I was just like, oh. And hopefully we get a little bit more of that throughout the rest of the season, kind of bringing it full circle, kind of like episode 200 did. 200 was the only episode oh that's really just stood out way in a, above and beyond. I think so, too. I think that in the premiere, because that, that premiere is just was amazing. Well, it kicked it off real quick, and then... There was, what, two or three episodes? Because there was Supergirl, S.H.I.E.L.D., and then I think it was Homecoming. Homecoming, yep. And then there was Isis, where Lois was possessed by the Greek god. Yeah, that didn't that went downhill pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. That was but, Homecoming, but Homecoming is... It's, I, I hope it's not the favorite issue, episode of the whole year, but so far it's the best episode I've seen in a long time. It is. You and had, that uh, scene with Clark at the grave in his jacket putting the watch in the ground, I was like, I was sitting there, I was crying already. This is sad. And then, like, I, I knew he was going to say goodbye, Dad, but I didn't want to hear him say it. Mm-hmm. I was like, if he says this, I'm going to lose it. And then he goes, goodbye, Dad. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and they just, like, that was like a emotional kick in the teeth. 
that was Oh, that just well, that whole episode—you so you had Clark, you know, flying. Well, semi-flying for the first time. You yep. had the trip to the future, which just had me giddy as all can be. Oh my gosh! I was watching it with my girlfriend, and we were just sitting there. I was like, "Oh, he's in the elevator." Blah, 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 blah. And then you hear his voice say, "She's a handful, isn't she?" And I was like, "Oh my god!" Well, there's been a lot of debate about that scene, and I know you reenacted it in a video, which was hilarious. I did. Thanks, man. Thank you. But a lot of the critic, uh, a lot of the praise was, "Oh, he finally got the real Clark Kent." And most of us are saying that's not quite what you're looking at. He's in the Clark Kent outfit, but he's knowing he knows he's talking to himself, so he's not on, you know, he's not in full Clark Kent yeah, mode. There's, there's no reason he has to be in full Clark Kent mode because he's talking to himself. Yeah, and, and he, he remembers like how he talked to himself. And not to, I don't so want to like, downplay that up that scene. It was a good scene, but don't call that the real Clark Kent because he didn't use the words golly or swell or you know have any any stooping but I, I don't I don't think he really had to though because I, I can see I can see where both parts are coming from where both sides are coming from on that yeah yeah it was a good scene but it wasn't full-on yet but but you know he will be like that well yeah you know as soon as he came back from saving the nuclear reactor he was all you know golly he was bumping indoors put pushing up his glasses yeah and everything but, but that was that whole episode just hit on the the only episode before that that had me that excited was the Legion episode. Oh yes, and yes, it, yes, yes. That one just floored me. References in that. Yeah, where's Escape? That was amazing. And I think that was. I mean, there are a few things that can turn me back into a little kid, and that hap, those two episodes happen to be it. That was at one the of top them. of the list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Homecoming was just amazing. You did mention something that I do want to to talk about, though, and this is something that I've talked about a lot. Um, I'm sorry if you guys are like go or something. If I'm like keep oh no, there's no derailing. There's us. no length of time. I'm, I'm I'm terrible, terrible podcasting. Bad game. And um, <laughs> anyways, um, my theory about Clark on Smallville because you mentioned the whole flying thing. Yeah, this is my thing, and I've said this many times on my show, and I will continue to say it is that Clark Kent on Smallville. He knows how to fly. I don't know if he knows how to fly, but he can fly. He chooses not to. I don't know because about that because he's been well. I, I, I can kind oh, of here see we go. Good debate. Good debate. Good debate. Um, this would be a good debate then. Going back to the second episode of the series, the second episode after the pilot, he was floating over his bed. Correct. And there's been my thing has always been when he jumps, if the ground bends underneath him or the ground breaks, that it's flight. Because going back to season five and in the third episode called Hidden, there's a rocket that's like shooting into the air. And he jumps up to catch it, and the ground breaks underneath him. So I've always assumed that was flight. And there's times where it's looked like a jump, but it's been flight. Like there was an episode in season four called Lucy, where he's jumping off a bridge onto a semi truck. Yeah, and there. Was... And the thing there is, he jumps off, but he levels himself out, and he like because he jumps normal, but then he goes flat, so it looks like he's flying, and then he gets on the truck. See, I actually agree with you to an extent because you go back to the Supergirl episode where she's like, you just have to focus on one thing. I think he's just trying too hard to control it when it's more of a natural uh, flow it's for him. A very natural thing. And he's come out and said before, another reason he doesn't want to fly is because this Clark Kent on the show is afraid of becoming too powerful. True. Because he knows that the second he flies, he is now the most powerful man in the world. And, and he's know, afraid of that. That actually kind of makes sense with where the season's going, because you mentioned he, he, you know, his goal is to take down Pride. And that, yep. you know, once you lose Pride, there's no need to be afraid of having that much power. So actually, kind of sold me on that idea. <laughs> All right. That's pretty sweet, because 
There was an episode in season nine where Chloe gave him the Legion ring, and she's like, go back and save Jimmy. And he's like, I can't do that. I'm not a god. Yeah. Because he's, a, he's just afraid of becoming too powerful, and the second he defies the law of gravity, he is now the most powerful man in the world. So it may be a psychosomatic. That actually makes sense. Because exactly. it kind of comes, I mean, they kind of did something with that in Spider-Man 2 where, you know, he kind of repressed his power. Exactly. What is, okay, can you, like, take two seconds and explain that to me quick? What's that? Because I've seen Spider-Man 2 so many times, and I still don't understand how he lost his powers. Um, he kind of, he kind of repressed them. He's, his focus became, I just want to be normal, and it became such a powerful need that he just started repressing those powers in order to kind of force okay. himself to be normal. I can, I can buy that. And that's, I can buy that. That kind of fits in with what Clark's doing. Is like, I'm not quite ready to make that, for lack of, sorry for the pun, but I'm not ready to make that leap yet. Yeah, exactly. Good pun. So you actually, you no, actually because, um, put it in a good context. Going back to the season nine premiere again, Savior, um, he's talking with Jarrell and he's complaining and he's like, well, I have all these powers. Why can't I fly? Like Kara can fly. How come I can't fly? And the, the thing that Jarrell says is like, it's all in your head. Yeah. You still see yourself as like a human being. Because back in season four, when he did actually fly in the season opener, he was full-on Kryptonian. Yeah. There was no Clark Kent left. So I think maybe it's just a matter of accepting that balance between the Clark Kent, the civilian Superman, and then his Kryptonian background. Mm-hmm. But I've sit and had debates with people about certain episodes where he flies. Like, in the season opener of this year, when he caught the Daily Planet Globe. That was flying. That was flying. Because, because he, you actually like, see stopped. him sink and then move up. Yep, he sinks and he moves up. And I, he even told Jarrell, he's like, it felt like I was flying. And he knows what that feels like. Because in the season four opener, um, he talked, he's talking to his dad about flying, and his dad says, how, do you, how did that feel? And he said, it felt amazing. Yeah. So, so he knows what it feels like to fly. That makes, just got to accept it. That makes sense. I'll buy that. There you go. Anyway, let's... But that's just the whole point of that being Clark Kent can fly. He just chooses not to. There you go. I'm fine with that. I'm 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 okay with that. Well, any, Me too. Me too. A, any final thoughts before we before we wrap it up? No, just I want to go ahead and say thank you very very much, Dave, for having me on. This was a blast, and I hope that I can come on again sometime. And I'd love to have you on my show. I'd be on your show anytime you'd like. Because I think that would be fun to just because there's still, there's so much we didn't cover, and we've been talking for like a good hour. Yeah, I mean we can go. No. I can. Well, the whole reason I started doing a podcast is because. Uh, People got tired of listening to me talk about Superman, so I'm like, I'll just put it down in podcast form, and if somebody wants to listen, <laughs> yep. they can. Because <laughs> I can, there you go. There I can you literally go. go for days. Me too. Me too, man. Well, I do. Thank you very, very much for having me on. It was so much fun. It was an honor to be on, and I, I can't wait to come back, and I can't wait to have you on my show. Oh, I, I appreciate you coming on. This has been absolutely fun. That was Cayman Stoll of the Superman Video Podcast. Now, I will post the link to Cayman's YouTube stream on the show notes for this week's show, but it was uh, an entire pleasure to have him on, and I look forward to both being on his show and him coming back at some point in the future, and I uh, look forward to Smallville coming back on February 4th. We're sitting on top of the story of the century here. Artist Mike Kelly has an art exhibit at the Gagosian Gallery in L.A. devoted to the bottle city of Candor, which uh, his sculptures are made out of illuminated cast resin. And the gallery actually, or his exhibit opened on January 11th. And it looks like it will remain there until the 19th of February. And you can see some pictures of it online at gagosian.com. It's pretty cool. And meanwhile, over in movie news, apparently Duncan Jones, who is David Bowie's son, 
and director of the movie Moon with Sam Rockwell. He was apparently in the running to direct the new Superman movie. And in an interview with CinemaBlend.com, he explained that he didn't feel ready to take on the responsibility of a major blockbuster. But for those of you who have seen Moon, you know it was a brilliantly paced mindbender, which uh, makes me feel a little bit better about the quality of the material. And I'm going to butcher this name, but Joe Maganiello, Matt Maganiello, Maganiello has come to the forefront of casting rumors again with a huge amount of fan support. Now, to be clear, no announcement has been made, and Maganiello has simply stated that, yes, he's interested in the part, but it is out of his hands at this point. So put that rumor on the same shelf with the news circulating that the movie will shoot in Alberta, Canada. Admittedly, both are possible, especially the shooting in Canada rumor, since the original movie shot uh, the Smallville scenes there, and of course the show Smallville is also shot there currently. But until there are any official releases from Warner Brothers, stay tuned and remain skeptical. Uh, Swiss company FAFAG drew the ire of DC Comics when they chose a stylized letter F in a diamond shield for their corporate logo. DC tried to sue for trademark infringement, but it failed because there was not a trademark filed in Switzerland for the for the design. Now, for the moment, the stylized F stays in the picture until I register my lawsuit. I believe I invented the market for the stylized Superman-style F. I own that, so I may own myself a Swiss company before this is all said and done. Now, just to be clear, I can use the, the design I have because the show does not make money. It's a simple fan podcast. Uh, the copyright fair use kind of allows you to play with... You have some gray area, which is how I can use the Superman music, because I am talking about Superman. And uh, as long as I'm not making money on the podcast, which I'm certainly not, I am perfectly fine to use that. However, a corporation which is making money, uh, it, that, that, that would be frowned upon. And, of course, the whole Switzerland thing kind of uh, threw DC Comics for a loop. But anyway, enough on the legal matters. Uh, let's get to the Superman books on stands this Wednesday, which will be February 2nd, 2011. Uh, the books will be Superboy number 4, which is written by Jeff Lemire with art by Pierre Gallo, a cover uh, by Eddie Barrows, with a 1 in 10 variant cover by Stanley Art Germ Lau. Uh, also on stands will be the Superman 80-page Giant 2011, which I am psyched about. It'll be written by Joe Caramagna, Steve Horton, Abe Kosla, Neil Clyde, Aubrey Sitterson, Bo Tidwell, and many others. And art will be provided by Mr. Eddie Barrows and Cafu. Dan McDade, Andy McDonald, and many others as well, with a cover by Dustin Ginn. It'll be, of course, 80 pages, and set you back $5.99, which is a value, and the 80-page giants are always a blast. Also on stands in the form of trade paperbacks is Superman War of the Supermen, uh, which was written by James Robinson and Sterling Gates, uh, with art by Eddie Barrows, Aaron LaPresti, and some others. Uh, this will actually have an Eddie Barrow's cover with a, with J.P. Mayer. And what this reprints uh, is Superman War of the Superman number 0 through 4 and 1, count them, 1 page from Superman 700. It'll be 144 pages for 1999, and with this trade, the entire uh, crypt, new Krypton era is out in trade paperback. And that is your news for this week. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to Metropolis Idol. Last week, we put the Battle of the Metropolis Marvels out for you to vote, and Josh Boltinghouse took on Scott, Scott Cranford in a match to choose the best official Superman of Metropolis. 
And with 60% of the vote, Scott Cranford will take on Gerard Christopher in round two. And now that moves us on to round one, week seven. One week away from the final week of the round, first round. Now these two, these this week's contestants, it's kind of a big deal. They're, they're the heavyweights of Generation X and Y. Uh, the late Christopher Reeve, who played Superman in, of course, Superman the movie, Superman 2, 3, and 4, The Quest for Peace. Uh, the late Christopher Reeve will take on his successor, Brandon Routh, who played Superman in Superman Returns. So, the votes will be available at supermanforever.com, and look for the Metropolis Idol page. And make your make sure your vote goes in, because every vote counts. Votes will remain open until Friday. So, votes will be open uh, beginning at the time you're listening to this episode. Make sure you do visit. Make sure you vote at least once. You can vote once a day. So, multiple votes are welcome. And I will see you at the polls. And this week we review the Superman books that hit stands cover dated November 2006. And joining me once again is Travis Pyle. Hi. And for the first time on Superman Forever Radio, Mr. John Oliver. Hi. John and Travis are kicking in this week with the reviews. Uh, Just to do something different, we fired up the iPhone, decided to record a, a group session. And John will be taking on Superman. Travis will be taking on Superman Batman while I take on the last part of our Action Comics story. And Travis, you've been on the show with us. You want to tell us a little bit about your your comic history and some more of your relationship with Superman? Uh, Sure. Uh, It started, like I mentioned when I was on with you before, my first contact with these heroes was probably Super Friends. And then, and, and things of that nature. And then when the Batman movie came out in 89, that's what really started me, uh, reading comics because my brother and I he would take me he was older than me by five years he could drive so he would take me to the comic book store and we, I would buy Batman comics um, so so that was kind of a thing we shared and that's kind of how I got started in it um, and so I read for a little bit and then of course I did the almost typical stop for a little while and then pick up again later uh, read a lot of Marvel stuff later on X-Men stuff like that Stopped. Then I started back up again when the uh, 80s boom hit with uh, Transformers, Voltron, all that, Thundercats. And then slowly started getting kind of back into the other thing. And I'm more of a graphic novel, trade paperback guy. So <coughs> uh, apparently that's a problem. I didn't realize that's that. That's not a problem. Okay. You just know that's where we differ. Yes, yes. Because I'm killing the industry and you're struggling to keep it alive. <laughs> I, I wear the badge with honor. I can't help it. But that's kind of where I that's kind of where I uh, that's kind of where I'm where I was at. Uh, you know, I'm uh, more more of a Batman fan, but you know, it takes all kinds. Sure, but I, kinds. I, but I like Superman. You know, I, you know, I, especially I think Superman's one of those characters. I think he's kind of complex enough. You almost have to be a little bit older to understand the uh, all the nuances of the character. He's just a pretty face when you're younger. Well, you know, when you're younger, it's the whole thing of, you know, how powerful he is. I think everybody at some point in their life wishes they were that powerful, you know, and so they can, you know, be famous and help people. I myself would like to be more of a Magneto because nobody can touch me. I can do whatever (laughs) I want and nobody can stop me. So that's basically my background. So, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about your comic history and maybe some history you have with Superman? 
Sure, yeah, I would be glad to. Uh, some of you listening to this might have heard me on other podcasts. So this is almost like deja vu. But uh, this, uh, as far as my history goes with comics, I remember the first comic I ever picked up was, and I don't remember the issue number, this is sad, you know, you'd think for nostalgia's sake I'd go back and I'd know, but the uh, Captain America for President issue back in the late 70s was the first one I ever remember picking up, and my mom bought it for me, tore the heck out of that book. That was the first comic I ever read, so ever since then, you know, I'd pick up comics here and there. I wasn't ever a big, I wouldn't say I'd call myself a big comic fan until I reached kind of my teens when I could actually go out and keep up on the issues myself. Otherwise, it was kind of hit and miss when my parents would take me and I could get a stray issue here and there. Uh, I worked a lot in the uh, sports memorabilia field, which also took me into working at a comic store for probably a good four years. So I got to see a lot of the community through that. Uh, really started to read a lot more. Yeah, good and bad, obviously. So read a lot there. Um, always been a big Spider-Man fan. He's probably, you know, my favorite character. Equal balance, I tend to lean, lean a little bit more towards Marvel than DC. Superman, to me, my relationship with that character has always been, he's kind of what started it all. And I know I know that uh, Mr. Weeder and I have talked about this. and we're, I mean, we're kind of a, in agreement that you can't really have any of these characters if Superman doesn't kind of pave the way. So I've always respected the character for that. I wouldn't call myself the biggest Superman fan, but you know, over the years it's always something I can go back to, and it's always something that I can always enjoy most of the time, depending on who's writing the series at that time or you know, what they're doing with the character. Awesome. Well, I'll uh, kick us off with Action Comics, and this week's issue is Action Comics number 843, plotted by Kurt Busiek and Fabian Nicieza, with a script by Kurt Busiek. Uh, Pete Woods continues to pencil. And ink. Brad Anderson still does the colors, and Nick Napolitano does the letters. And the cover was once again drawn by the great Dave Gibbons, and covered by Moose Bowman. I kind of want to change my name to Moose Bowman. Well, the whole shindig was edited with by uh, Matt Adelson and Nachi Castro. And this issue is Back in Action Part 3, All Out Action, which will conclude the Back in Action storyline. Now, last issue ended with Superman leaping into the generator on the auctioneer's ship, which had a power-dampening effect, and the world watches as Superman plummets towards potential death, and the rest of the heroes scramble to disrupt the core. Now, seeing a potential moneymaker, the auctioneer plans to sell the video, and with that, the heroes fail. Time runs out. But Superman's okay, and he flies back up to join his co-heroes, and he notes that Firestorm's head seems to be on fire again, and explains that the power dampening field was only psychosomatic. Wait, what? Psychosomatic? That's the biggest cop-out since Monarch was revealed to be Hawk. It doesn't even make sense. Because just a moment later, Aquaman begins to dehydrate now that the powers are returned, or at least he realizes they were back. That's a physical effect. That's a pretty extreme thing for Aquaman uh, to dehydrate. Well, I mean, in another convenient, odd moment, the alien craft has a water supply that revives him. I mean, really? It's just cheap. Uh, robot guards attack, just in time to distract us from that awkwardness, and the heroes decide to bust out of the ship, only to find that they're orbiting Saturn in the middle of space. And they patch the door so nobody gets sucked out in the vacuum, and Superman begins to wreck the ship internally, which makes total sense, doesn't it? No. Uh, not all these heroes can fly. Nightwing, would his head would simply burst at the vacuum if, if something goes wrong. Now, to get the auctioneer's attention is why he's doing it, but it doesn't work. So, the heroes rally behind Superman, just as I predicted last episode, 
and fight their way to the light bubbles cluster thing that serves as the auctioneer's ops. And this manages to get the auctioneer's attention. So when he shows up on the ship, where all of the other heroes and villains have been captured, uh, they're actually freed now and fighting the guards and just tearing the place up. Superman actually threatens to destroy ops, but the auctioneer calls him because he knows uh, Superman won't kill and ops is actually an sentient being. And, uh, you know, Superman decides that the only way to get the auctioneer is through his wallet. And Superman plans to use Livewire to disperse all of the auctioneer's business information across the galaxy. So the auctioneer, he accepts Superman's terms and says, okay, I'll leave. He, but he does point out that he came to the planet in pursuit of a spaceship, which we saw back in Action 641, and the ship should be hitting Earth soon. So the auctioneer takes off, and the world finally accepts that Superman is back, and Lois even gets her Newstime front page story. So, you know, isn't it great that we're all better people? Now the issue ends with Superman pondering who the third Kryptonian that was mentioned was, which we won't find out for quite a little while. And then, you know, contemplates the ship that's coming. And just as we uh, look into space, the ship actually comes careening towards Earth as the issue closes. So the issue starts out with a whimper. I mean, on page one, Superman is in the obligatory Christ pose, falling down the cloud city shaft. And then on page six, well, six and eight to be accurate, uh, we get the psychosomatic line that I mentioned, which makes no sense. A, Nightwing doesn't have powers. B, Nightwing and, and uh, Firestorm were crawling through the vent shafts when Firestorm's hair went out. How are they even going to be psychosomatic? There has to be a suggestion there. That's just, And maybe it's just a poor choice of words, but there had to be some sort of dampening field. So just the cop out of saying, oh, it's psychosomatic and we're all good now. Doesn't work for me. I'm sorry. It's, that's, that's just not going to fly. And that just ruins the entire issue for me. I mean, even with Pete Woods drawing some extraordinary spaceship in, uh, in the space backdrop action on page 9 and 10, uh, the book never rebounded for me. And where Pete Woods had been making some great strides and really seeing some huge improvements in his art in the last issue, uh, we just don't see that here. He's uh, Some of the secondary characters that he did so well just two issues ago just look contrived. And the coloring's sloppy. I mean, look at Robin's costume in the big fight scene. It's sloppy. And one good thing I had to say is that, you know, apparently this wasn't meant to be, this wasn't an accidental fill-in issue because it did lead directly into Last Sun, which we're going to start off next week. And Blue Jay, of all people, has a good moment this issue when he dives into one of the robot's exhaust points, taking him down by pulling out the thing that looks important. So remember that. Next time you're in a bad situation, look for something that's important and pull it out. <clears throat> and then the design for Ops, which is a cluster of light-up bubbles, it it was a unique idea, I guess, but just the follow-through made it seem more awkward, especially with Superman holding it under his arm like it's some sort of stuffed animal. It just didn't work for me. It didn't look ethereal enough, maybe, which was apparently what they were going for. Although I did gain some perspective on the auctioneer, he's basically a, a ripoff of a Ferengi. You get to him through his wallet, and uh, he's a salesman. He's a Ferengi. On top of having a very uninspired design, he has an uninspired origin and uh, idea. And overall, outside of having a really good splash page, a little sloppy splash page, but uh, I play a nice splash of uh, all the released heroes fighting the robots, the book simply just didn't have any wow points. 
And it just, it's convenient how everything got wrapped up. Oh, look, uh, he must be the real Superman. Why is this still in debate at this point? Why was it ever in debate? I mean, after the up, up, and away conclusion, what's there to doubt? And then Lois getting her news time story was sweet, but just kind of came together a little too, I don't know. It was a little too too sappy for me. So overall, I I give the the issue a 2.5 out of 3. It's well below average. And with this week's review of Superman 656 is Mr. John Oliver. Thank you, Mr. Weeder. I appreciate that. So uh, this week I'll actually be reviewing Superman issue 656. Uh, this was written by Kurt Busiek and art by Mr. Pacheco. Carlos Pacheco. I didn't know his first name. I'm sorry. That's okay. Anyway, uh, the issue, as far as a uh, kind of rundown of what happens in this, the issue begins with us going back and taking a look at uh, Clark's relationship with uh, the scientist from Kazakhstan. Yeah. Right, uh, Claire or Callie, I think is his pet name for uh, Callie Llewellyn. Uh, it goes back into a little backstory, and then we jump right back into the battle between Superman and Subject Seventeen. Uh, pretty, you know, hefty action battle between them. Uh, Supes kind of knocks him down into the earth to, uh, to to kind of sate him for a little bit. So he does a nuclear man. Uh, a little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, after that, Subject uh, 17 shows back up after a warning given to Superman by uh, Callie Llewellyn again. They have their final confrontation, and uh, during that confrontation, Superman begins to realize that Subject 17 is more of a, more than just a child, kind of, as Dr. Llewellyn's put it before, he's more of a... I think as the book calls it, he's an adult, but he doesn't really have any social interaction skills or anything. And typically he blames the human race. He can't figure out why Superman wants to fight him when Superman is so much like him in being persecuted by the human race. Uh, at the very end, kind of climactic in the battle, we see uh, Subject 17 just kind of vaporize and get sent into the nether region, if you will, by Arion. I'm just trying to remember the name of the character, thanks. Arion. And uh, the issue basically stops with uh, Aryan standing in front of Superman as an apparition and telling him that the fate of the free world rests upon his shoulders. I know, that never happens, does it? So overall, uh, good issue. I've always enjoyed Busick's writing. He has really good pacing as far as, uh, you know, in the way that he tells the story, he seems to understand the background, especially... I never find it very awkward whenever he switches between Clark and Superman. There's not much difference. I don't think there should be whenever they're speaking to the reader in that. So I appreciate the fact that Busick does that. Uh, the art is nice in it. One of the things that I think uh, Mr. Weeder and I were talking about is the color really stands out in this issue. So very nice. The artwork's good. Um, you know, as far as the uh, the actual story itself... I do kind of find myself wondering if this is a little bit of a ripoff of, you know, the Doomsday storylines. It's, I mean, the story itself is kind of cliched. We've got a, this new being that's been genetically engineered, if you will, that Superman can't stop again. Even the character design, unfortunately, kind of looks a lot like Doomsday. If you were just to look at the cover of this, it would not be uncommon at all for somebody to think that that probably is Doomsday. And I've actually made Doomsday references well, the last issue. He definitely has a Doomsday-esque quality. Exactly. Um, again, you know, it's still written well. You can still appreciate it for what it is. I don't think you're really breaking any new territory here. Um, 
the uh, what's the character's name again? Arian. 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 The Arian twist is uh, twist, I should say. Trist. <laughs> the twist is kind of neat. The twist was last issue. Yeah, exactly. So no, it's kind of neat at that point. That, you know that he just kind of zooms him off. So it leaves you wondering what's going to transpire the next issue a little bit. Of course, they've got the massive you know overkill setup of the world's fate rests on your decisions from this point out. So a little heavy handed in that. But, uh, you know, overall, it's a nice little tie-up. The last couple issues, of course, they kind of explored Clark and Lois's anniversary of their flight, kind of introduced the story with that. And the last story was a lot of background as to how Subject 17 actually came about. But uh, overall, a good read. Again, it's, if you're looking for it to break any new territory, it's, it's not going to do that for you. I'll be completely honest. But overall, you know, good pace in the story, good read. You know, not bad material if you need something to read, but not something you might need need to rush right out and grab out of the back issue bin. Well, of course, you know, it takes a left turn next issue, which we'll talk about a little bit next week. But anything, any 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 uh, particular panels or pages stand out? Um, as far as the uh, the panels in the book, probably, you know, they're, they don't have many big splashes in this book, which doesn't bother me because, again, I know myself, I'm reading this more for the storytelling aspect from Kurt Busiek. Probably the biggest splash in it is on the, I want to say the fourth and fifth page. There's a splash of Subject 17 kind of on top of Superman. And I know that's supposed to be there for dramatic effect and everything, but again, it just kind of has that, that same doomsday quality to me. I feel like I've seen it before. It's just not really doing much for me. Looking at that page, the backgrounds really stand out. The backgrounds are nice. They do a lot with the architecture in Kazakhstan in that. One thing in regards to Kazakhstan that bothers me is I thought it was needless to have Subject 17 actually speak in the native language like that. seems like he picks up on English pretty quick in the battle with Superman, with Clark. So I just – I don't like when they throw in foreign languages just to kind of do ha-ha-ha, I'm smarter than thou, if that makes sense. But he would have been subjected to it. He would have, but I don't think it loses anything in the comic book world when you still put it in English. You can always put the little parentheses around it to signify that it is being spoken in another language, which they actually do in other parts of this issue. So I just didn't see the need to actually have him speak in the native tongue. Well, yeah, but he would – the well, I mean – he would have had some Russian in there from last, you know, from last issue, but the native tongue would have been what he would have heard in his little back to tank thing. Right, and I know he would have heard that, and I get that. But again, I'm just saying, like when the regular civilians and the people in, you know, Doctor Llewellyn's lab speak, they don't speak in the native tongue. They actually just have the parentheses bars around it. You know, they're speaking in, I don't know what the actual name of the language would be, Kaster, Kazakh, Kazaki, Kazaki. Kawasaki, whatever that is. making stuff up now. <laughs> but anyway, you know, you know they're speaking in that particular dialect, but they just have the parentheses around it. When they have Subject 17 talk, they have a lot of, you know, actual translations to that language. And I just, I don't like the switching back and forth on that as much. I guess it just depends. Yeah, I mean, the, it you're, it's a consistency thing. It's, to me, I think that's what bothers me the most is I'd rather just have it consistent. And, you know, it doesn't bother me. I don't necessarily – I don't know many other foreign languages, so it's not like it's going to bother me whether or not you just do parentheses to signify it's in a foreign language. You're not going to impress me by actually breaking out actual words and phrases from Russian, German, Kazakh, whatever you want on that. Well, I'm looking uh, – his young Clark is good. It's not quite a mullet, but he does have a shaggy haircut. He hasn't quite perfected the Clark Kent quaff. Right. Now, the young Clark, when you get further into the story, it's a decent design on it. It's – there's just something about it that almost seems a little too 80s camp counselor almost about it. But that would in the time frame based on the, the sliding 10-year rule. This is true. 
I don't know, something about it just hits me the wrong way, and trying to pinpoint it. Well, pinpointing it at this point, it was bizarre because Secret Origin didn't, wouldn't come out for three years. Exactly. I mean, you had that way down the road. Yeah. So We had no idea what the backstory actually was. Exactly. But again, you know, I, I'm never going to, I can't really pan anything that Busick does writing-wise, and myself... It's always been one of my preferences. I mean, the art can can be completely unspectacular in a book as long as the storytelling keeps me engaged. I'm going to be pretty happy. And that's not to knock the art on this book at all. It, like I said, the color's great. The art's decent. But, I mean, honestly, Busick's storytelling is really why you're showing up to this book. So. Well, see, I think Pacheco, I mean, the covers have been solid. Pacheco's design, he'd reinvent the wheel, but he definitely, you know, kind of gives it a nice gloss. Superman has a, a Dick Giordano look, and I'm always a fan of that. It's clean. It's clean. It's clean. I almost, I don't know, I just prefer, if you look back at the previous two issues, 654 and 655, the covers, I like the covers in those. You've got the, on 654, you've got the classic, iconic Superman holding up, you know, a part of a vehicle. You've got Superman defending the, the damsel in distress on 655. But then again, I know I keep going back to this, 656, it's just a white splash cover, and then you've got Superman's torn cape, and basically a, you know, Subject 17 smashing his head into the ground, which I've seen, you know, I've seen it with Doomsday. I just, it doesn't, it's just not anything new. I'd rather have them almost like in an aerial battle or some other action scene, you know. I get it, I get it that this guy can beat Superman up a little bit. It's just, it's not my favorite cover in the world, I can put it that way. So what's your final verdict? How many S-Shields out of five? Uh, out of five, I would give this one a solid three. Three out not of five. Not bad, right in the middle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said, right around the middle, it's it's definitely something that, you know, is worth reading. But, it's again, it's not something you need to rush right out and dig through the back issue bin and find. Okay, excellent. Travis is taking Superman Batman this week, and he is taking, a, taking on issue number 30. Okay, uh, I'm not going to sound as good as Mr. Oliver because I've never done a book <laughs> review before. Nobody's that smooth. Oh, that's Ouch. true. That's true. Um, so oh, basically, Ted Williams, the guy with the golden voice, Ted Williams, almost <laughs> dude that's doing or Ted Knight. Yeah. Ooh, Ted Knight. Was that the Caddyshack guy? Yeah, that's the Caddyshack guy. He was also the uh, voice of the Friends. Ooh, nice. Aquaman. <laughs> Meanwhile, nice. across town, <laughs> number thirty, written by uh, Mark Verheiden. Verheiden. Yep. Uh, pencils by Ethan Van Skyver. So we start off issue thirty with the. Kilowog Superman Battle Royale. <laughs> and Kilowog is is basically trying to play on the fact that Superman isn't from Earth. He's an alien. He's never going to be a human. He's not going to be like the rest. Um and kicks, you know, they're fighting and uh he's like, you know, think deep inside you realize this, you were not like them. You'd never been like them. And he somehow he affects Clark's mind to see himself as something he is not. <coughs> and, of course, Superman freaks out. And uh, Kilowog speaking in, what, what, do you call, what would you call it? Not the third person. He, he's, he's speaking as if he's part of a collective. Yeah, collective. Okay. And Plural. Right. The royal we. The royal we. And he start and Superman starts to change. And uh and you know, he's saying uh Kilowak's saying the truth has been inside you all this time, you just have to face it. And Batman's like, What truth? He's like, Talk to me, you know, what's going on? He says, 
no more questions. I'm tired of the way you look at me, like I don't belong. Sick of the fear in your eyes. And he's like, what are you talking about? He grabs Batman's throat. And uh, Kilowog the whole time kind of, you know, egging it on. And then instead of, instead of succumbing to whatever's going on like Kilowog has, um, he seems to be able to fight it off. And so he grabs Kilowog and they fly up into space take up to uh, to fight out up there because because and I you know it's hard to figure I think what Clark's trying to do is is take Kilowog out of the way to protect everybody else and kind of fight it out and of course Batman right um, and Batman of course is suspicious he doesn't he says I'm not sure that Kilowog's the one we need to worry about so the next thing is is Batman's back in his cave. Uh, and Alfred shows up with a bottle of bourbon and a note. Bourbon. And uh, he's like, why are you bringing bourbon? I, you know I don't drink in the cave. And he goes, this, the drink's not for you, it's for me. Because something's obviously bothering uh, Alfred. And he says, this note was sent er, sent to you th- from Gordon. It was through Gordon. Um, and uh, you're being summoned by Lex Luthor. And you see this Luther Tower. Lex Luthor's got this bat signal up to, to bring him in. No, it's not the Lord House. And uh, those are shaped like L. Never mind. So so basically, Batman shows up and is like, what do you want? Because, you know, basically, he doesn't like Lex. Lex doesn't like him. He doesn't want to work with Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor doesn't want to work with Batman. So <clears throat> he seems to have information that's pertinent to what's going on. So, um, basically, he's saying that something has shown up in space that's picked up this telescope that just showed up out of where. It's not been there before, and all of a sudden it showed up, and then not long after it showed up, the problems start coming down. And uh, so he said there's something in the Fortress of Solitude that can help them, that may be able to defuse the situation. And uh, he says, I've got somebody that's got some skills that'll be useful to you. And Ill O'Brien shows up, Plastic Man. So they take off to a very 1970s Superman movie, Fortress of Solitude. Well, that's a, that, that was actually continuity at that point. Oh, was it? Okay. Everything post-Infinite Crisis, that's just a lot more... Detailed? Yeah. Un, it's unnatural. It looks, to me, it looks just like the one from the... Well, anyway, but... So they so they go to the Fortress of Solitude, and as they get to the door, they of course. Meanwhile, the whole battle still going on in space with, with Superman and Kilowog. So they get to the uh, door, and they need a DNA scan to let you you know to see if you are allowed in the fortress. Batman, of course, passes that. So they get into the fortress, and who should appear? But Starfire. And apparently it's a classic Starfire. So, now I don't, I'm not as familiar with Starfire as far as all her different incarnations, but they make a reference to the fact that this is a classic look for Starfire. Well, her look hasn't really changed all that much, so. Not a lot, but Batman notices it, and he keeps making references to the fact that we're being attacked by all our past villains from the past. So they're, 
so they're fighting it out, and they run from her, and they get to the vault where this object that they're looking for may be hidden. And Batman, he's like, I have no way of getting in there. Bill O'Brien says, I can get in there. He does the Plastic Man thing, squeezes him behind the door. Um, and Starfire saying, as soon as I get the, uh, you know, as soon as you get it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna kill you both. You know, blah 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 blah. So then there's a giant explosion and Ill O'Brien steps out and Batman says to him, Plastic Man, are you alright? Did you find it, the life form? And Ill O'Brien says, Actually, the Black Rock found me. And he's holding this kind of dark ish crystal looking thing. And it seems to be like it seems to be doing like a witchblade thing where it's kinda of like merging with him and wrapping around him. And then we end this issue with Kilowog speaking to Superman, saying, Out here, away from the babble of the human fools, the clarity of their distant message is even more glorious. Glorious. For the last time, I ask you to hear them, Superman. You're not human. You never were. And Superman replies, No, I'm not. And from this moment forward, Earth belongs to anyone with the strength to take it. That ends issue 30. To be continued. To be continued. And I find that a little bit confusing. A little? I was completely lost at that point. <laughs> well, you know, my, my question is, is he saying that, you know, they're going to have to go through me, or that he's saying he's done protecting him? Because it could go either way. Well, it's amb- I didn't understand it either, and I'm kind of confused about the life forms. I mean, this issue just kind of went all over the place. Yeah. And I'm, I was just sort of befuddled. Well, this is always like I like I have said to you before. This this uh, book has always been all over the place, in and out of continuity. It's I wouldn't go as far as to call it a mess, but it's been confusing at times. Because sometimes I would call it a mess. This is sort of at a point in the storyline where it's kind of a hot mess. But. Right. Sometimes they're standalone stuff. Sometimes they make references to things that are going on in the in the regular DCU. I, you know, I, it was it was kind of a confusing story. I think that I don't mean to, you know, upset you, but I think this is a storyline that would read better in trade, where you can get it all in one big chunk. I'm sorry. No, actually, I I can I can concede that. I mean, a lot of what happened in the post Infinite Crisis world would play better in trade. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Oh, I I agree with that, and that's that's part of the the whole trade argument that we always get into. I mean. With things going to trade so quickly now, you don't necessarily have to be that cliffhanger storyteller a lot of times. You can have stuff be confusing as heck because you know most people are going to read this in a collected format. But that's why it's hurting the industry because it used to be anybody could pick up an issue and kind of catch up. Oh, it is. At least enough to follow along. It's a dying art form. It's basically requiring that if it's a 12-issue story arc, you're going to have to start at issue 1 and finish at the end of issue 12. Whereas, like you said before, if I wanted to you know, pick up Avengers 314, I could just pick it up off the shelf and read it with no problem so it, it it is it is kind of crippling the storytelling aspect. well they've taken out editor's notes so there's no way to cross-reference anymore correct but don't you think that comic book fans are a die-hard enough group they're not going to let the industry die i mean there's still plenty of people out there that are picking up the monthly issues well yeah but the monthly issues aren't making the company's money their monthly issues are targeted to be printed to trades that's why as as john said the turnaround on trades is maybe Two weeks now, in some cases, it's almost immediate. Ridiculously quick, whereas you had to wait for at least like a year back in the day for something to come out in trade form, you know? And then before that, there was no trade industry, so... (laughs) 
we were talking earlier about when you your death in the family and how that was one of the first trades that ever came out. Yep, one of the and first now trades. it's everything that comes out goes into trade. Yeah, it was rare that I even thought about getting a trade paperback. Now, if I you know if I miss the first couple issues or something, I'm like, yeah, I'll wait a month for the trade to come out. But you see, I still like the hunt. I love the hunt for those back issues. But I'm just saying, it's it's the defeatist attitude where you know you just want to read the story at that point, and you don't want to try and hunt down those earlier issues like you used to back in the day. Okay, but for somebody like me, that's that's a trade reader mm-hmm. primarily, and I'm primarily a floppy reader. But we do kind of cross in the middle sometimes. There are sometimes there are storylines that come out that I don't want to wait for that I want to read right now as they're going on. Blackest night, brightest day. The Return of Bruce Wayne, Batman Incorporated, those are all, I want I want to read them so badly, I don't want to wait for the trade. I agree, uh, to some extent. I mean, the the Gail Simone Wonder Woman run, I have that um, in tra- entirely in trade because I didn't really want what came before and not that interested in Straczynski that came after, so. And you have to you have to admit that when I read, a lot of trades I get, I get classic stories that are, you know, that I haven't ever read before and I want to read now. Well, in some cases, yeah, because you, you, a good example would be when you bought Maximum Carnage. And that's not so much hard to track down, just really tedious because there was a lot into that. Oh, there were a lot of issues on that. And that was right in the glut of the speculation stage where a lot of people got in thinking it was the next collectible boom. So they were buying triple and quadruple issues of those Maximum Carnage issues. Guilty. Oh, guilty as charged, too. Yeah, I can't judge the 90s. I was the first one in line saying, ooh, chromium cover. That's one habit I never got into. You're lucky in that respect, because I, I fell into that same trap. Well, at that point, we thought we were set for life. If you had Superman 75, and then we mentioned several episodes back how you can't buy a tank of gas with what you'd pay for us to uh, get that issue. Well, okay, I, I the death of Superman came out at the height of that 90s... It was yeah. The death of Superman definitely got that ball rolling. I learned. I learned pretty quickly though, because of that issue, how unstable that market was. (laughs) Because like when you when that book first came out, it skyrocketed, and then a year later, it was worth eight bucks. Right. Yeah. Because I thought, oh, this issue is going to be worth a lot of money, and it was for a while. I think it went up to like. I think I remember going to like a hundred bucks at one point. And seventy-five was the going average. I remember. And then I the next thing I knew was. So I caught on pretty quick. I, I know this is bad to bring up, but I, and this is probably during a comics podcast, but I always come back to this when I get in this discussion with my friends and with you guys. I hate the speculators who get into these different markets because they never realize the basic fact that supply has to not be able to meet demand to drive up the demand and prices for things. There are so many issues of Superman 75 printed that there's still a glut to this day. You just, you, you know, something that wasn't on the radar is what's going to actually be valuable. Something that had a print run of 10,000 copies. Like Teenage, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Exactly. I mean, you just have to look at supply and demand. That's why people don't, it's when you talk about vintage baseball cards, people are like, why baseball cards are going to be worth just as much as one <laughs> in the 50s? Well, no, they're not. People in the 50s put a bicycle, spun their mom, threw them away. Nobody throws anything anymore, and they print 9,000 times any. It's just not in the same ballpark. The reason why there's older things is the reason why older comics are worth more. Well, it's kind of like uh, Fantastic Four 587 came out this week with the death of a character, which I'm not going to spoil. By now everybody knows, but I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to do it. (laughs) But I think Marvel was creating a media event expecting that to sell out, and my Midtown Comics keeps pointing out we're not sold out. I walked right into the store, bought it without a problem. It's, it seems like the speculators never learn their lesson because you saw it with that. You saw it with the Obama issue of Spider-Man. You saw it with the 9-11 issue of Spider-Man. 
You've seen it with all of these different things. You saw it with the death of Captain America. All these events, you see a brief upswing in the, in the prices of the book. But there's just so many printed. They know there's going to be a demand for these, and there's going to be second and third printings. It's just not going to retain its value like things in the past did. I think the Spider-Man 9-11 issue is a, it's not necessarily in that, because that was... That wasn't. It didn't sell because it was collectible. It was something that was. Oh, it did to different audiences. Now, myself, I appreciated the issue for what it was because it was poignant for the time. But there's plenty of people who went out looking for that just to make a buck. I didn't. I never thought of it that way. For you know, trading card sets of 9/11, you're always going to have those speculators that have absolutely no knowledge of the product they're buying. And those are the people, because I was working at a comic store when that came out. Wait, there was a trading card set for 9-11? Absolutely. And people kept asking when we were going to get it in at the shop I was working at. People wanted, you know, ooh, I want to build this set because this is going to put my kids through college someday. It's that it's that idiot mindset. I hate to say that, and I hope I didn't offend anybody if you bought those. Hopefully you bought them for the right reason. But it's the same thing with that Spider-Man issue. If you bought it because it was a cool issue, because it was you know, done at a point in time you wanted to remember that point in time, that was a good reason to buy it. If you bought it because you thought you were going to get it CGC graded and you were going to put it back and pay for your kids' session later, you just don't have the right motives behind what you're doing. I was, I was just going to say, you know, this, this speculation thing, you know, if you're 12 years old buying comics now, put them in a box, put them in your attic, if you're 90, get them out and see where you're at then. Exactly. Well, the, yeah, by then, print comics hey, may never, be dead. I've always been driven more by sentimental value over monetary value. Absolutely. You know, I, I collect figures. I collect all kinds of stuff. I rip them out of the package. I don't care. Well, as I was telling you, my, I got the Orange Lantern Lex Luthor, DC Direct. Yeah. And, it, and by the way, if you buy this, since you're, I'm talking to Superman fans, be careful taking it out of the packages. There are two antennae that are protruding from the neck brace. Like side view Little side view mirrors. That will break. Those are fragile, so be careful. Mine broke off, but I'm like, it's a good enough figure and I like it enough that I'm gonna just look past that. I you know, I got a predator figure the other day, missing a piece off the hip. Doesn't bother me. You know, I'm not I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sell anything ever. When I die, my wife will have to cart this stuff out of the house try to make a buck on it if she can. I mean, when I say buck, I'm talking like garage sale prices or give them to my nieces and nephews. I've already got a destination in mind for my Superman collection should anything happen to me. Really? Well, yeah. <laughs> Why do you look surprised? I'm not surprised. I'm just saying I, I, I'd like I to. I worked hard on it. I, did, I don't want it to go to waste. Anyway, so any final thoughts on Superman Batman number 30? Well, you know, I'm, as far as the S-Shields, I give it, I'm going to say two and a half. That's about. I would put it around two, two and a half. It's, it's not a bad storyline. It's just it's not a great storyline. There's you know I like overall I like Superman, Batman, but there are so many way better stories. And if you're looking for something that's going to make sense and continuity, you're looking in the wrong place. So that's that's about all I can say. You know, this like I said, you know, sorry if I stumbled through this. this is my first book review. I promise to do better next time. <laughs> I've stumbled through a few of them. It happens. <laughs> But he stumbled through a few of them. Well, I mean, I'm, yeah, but it, I've done it recently. Wow. And I've done a few at this point. <laughs> and, uh, well, I mean, I just want to thank Cayman Stoll for coming on and John and Travis for being on. This has been a great episode. Um, you can always leave me a review at iTunes. It kind of helps the show get noticed a little bit. Um, email me at mail at supermanforever.com. And uh, if you have a preference on whether you, you know, a name you'd like me to read out on, on air, go ahead and let me know. And uh, call in line. You can always leave me a voicemail uh, to play on the show at 703-95-SUPER. That's 703-957-8737. Follow me on Twitter at, at SupermanForever. And uh, that is the number four. Superman, the number four ever. Uh, 
I'm also on Tumblr for those Tumblr users. I'm supermanforever.tumblr.com. And, of course, you can find me at the Superman Podcast Network at fortressofbailey2.com slash podcast network. And, I mean, obviously, I'm around at supermanforever.com. That wraps us up for this week. I uh, thank you for being here, John. Absolutely. Had a good time. Uh, just to let you guys know how we're getting back to the Ted Williams, the homeless guy we were talking about earlier. I was homeless once. Then I remembered where I put my keys. And thank you for once again for visiting us here, Travis. Uh, it was my pleasure. Anytime. I, I love it. I and uh, like anytime. why don't you sign us off for this week? Valhalla. Valhalla.